Blog Talk Radio. I'm sorry. Um, good evening, you everybody, are. and welcome to the NASCA Child, Stop Child Abuse Scams Live Talk Radio Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Sorry, I was on mute. And my name is Victoria, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Annie, and we're on scan number 3259. And I'm excited to introduce to you our special guest this evening, however, first, like to say that we have a single purpose here at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adults, survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3259. And if you'd like to be part of the panel this evening, please call in at 646-595-2118. And my co-host, Annie, will meet you on the back line and ask if you'd like to ask a question or if anything to say. And uh, we'd love to have you join us and uh, support our guest this evening. And our special guest is Kim Lakin. I said that right? Hey there, Kim. Um, from Littleton, Colorado, a child abuse survivor and activist who is the founder of Soar on Eagle's Wings, where she teaches about prevention and intervention. Kim's an authorized uh, instructor and certified facilitator for darkness to light. Stewards of the children, or I'm sorry, stewards of children, as well as a facilitator for the Monique Burr Foundation. She was sexually assaulted her whole childhood. Kim says, I will always be in recovery process. I don't think it will go away. I feel that my work with facilitating has been a big part of my healing the past seven years. I feel empowered and free when I'm providing classes for the community. 
On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survivor professionals, who will assist in fielding questions and lead over a variety of topics suggested by our call and participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality. That springs from questions and topics brought to you by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show, and please visit the NASCA.org website. That's N-A-A-S-C-A.org. Um, we have about 42 programs on there. We'd love to have you check them out. And so uh, without further ado, uh, hello, Kim. How are you doing this evening? Hello. Oh, yeah, good. Annie. Thank you. Yeah, and hi, Annie. Are Annie there? Yep. Yeah, thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back, and you're here all the time, so we really appreciate you coming on tonight. And, uh, it's I was really like, where great. do I start? You sh- <laughs> you yeah, do the opening. Exactly. Where do I start with it? <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, um, <laughs> I have been, no, I don't know if I've heard of I want to go wings before. Oh, you know what? That's just kind yeah. of, that's my, um, my business name that I have everything under. And, um, okay. I don't, you know, I don't really do a whole lot under that name because a lot of what I do is under the umbrella of darkness to light. And so, um, I just have that. That's my Facebook page is Thor and Eagle Wings. That's where I put out the posts. Um, I put out like nightly emergency number oh. posts like at one o'clock in the morning. Oh. I make sure that that goes out every night. And I pretty much, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. Um, that's probably the oh. main thing that I do on that page. I have in the past and I really need to get back into doing it, putting more posts up on that page. Too. So mm-hmm. um, I also have a, a, a website too, but that's under Tim Lakin Craiger. Do you want to do you want to tell us what the and then spell the uh, website so people know how to find it? Yeah. So yeah, it's Tim Lakin L A K I N Craiger and that's C R E G E R dot com. And you'll see my little logo, the Soar on Eagle's Wings. <laughs> and that's kind of, um, you know, that's, that's from the verse that, that I took that from. And um, because I, religion is a part of my life. And I felt like when I started um, kind of doing this work a long time ago, you know, I needed to have some kind of name, not just my name, although I've kind of more used by name now right. and, and like I said that's the light because that's pretty much what I um what I teach for the most part. Yeah. But um yeah, it's just kind of the umbrella that I put under that I put under. But it okay. was it was really taken after I felt like when I started doing this, the the verse Isaiah forty thirty one just really came to me and it was just speaking to me and um just kind of the way that you know, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles, and they'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So that was kind of oh. my 
motto going into this work that I started doing a little over seven years ago <laughs> is just, you oh, know what, I'm, I'm ready to soar. It's time for me to start being who I want to be authentically more and not just the mom and the wife because that's basically yeah. how I've been. And it wasn't what I, it's not, that wasn't a bad thing. I really liked doing that. And that's what I always right, wanted right, to right. do was be a wonderful mom. And, together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I also knew at some point too, cause, and this is part of my story, um, when probably about 20 years ago, well, probably even more than 20 years ago, I was going pretty regularly to these conferences that they had, and some people might remember them, some people might not, but they were women of faith conferences, and they traveled all over yep. the world, and they had some really neat speakers, and, and then they had some musicians that were always wonderful, always my favorite. And I was, I was pretty adamant about, you know, raising my kids in the faith, and so I wanted because I felt like they needed that foundation. That's what I had to, even though I was in a home full of dysfunction and abuse, I was also going to church on Sundays on a bus. And so I, I saw, I, that's how I saw the difference, you know, where we talk about, you know, kids that don't see the difference just kind of stay in that life. But if you have yeah. an opportunity as a child, and especially, you know, as you're, you're curious about what's happening in the world a little bit more and, and maybe what's happening at my house isn't right. So it's good to have this other perspective. And I think that's, that is what helped me tremendously. So I was sent to school on a, uh, sent to Sunday school with my aunt as um, my grandma who lived not too far from us. And, and my aunt who's only two years older than I am. We kind of grew up more like sisters Um my grandma worked, worked late nights. It's part of my yeah. That's how it all started a long time ago. But mm-hmm. they, um, my grandma worked nights. She was a waitress up until, you know, almost the day she died. And um, she had some, you know, church people come in, and she was never really much of a Christian. She never went to church or anything. But I think that she also knew that she, you know, that that foundation was important because she did as a child. Her mom you know, took them to church. And then my mom was raised by her grandma, which was my grandma's mom. And so my mom went to church a lot too. And um, and so I think when these church people came in, as my grandma would put it, you know, they, they were trying to talk her into going to church. And she's like, well, you know, I, I'm up until 2 or 3 in the morning, and no, I'm not going to get up and go to church. But she said, well, we have a bus that will come around and pick up the kids. And, oh. I mean, could you imagine doing that? Today, the liability, I, I actually tried years ago when I was in my church. I tried to do that to get that together, but the liability was just, I mean, it, it was just yeah. hard to get it all figured out uh-huh. because people don't want to take on that liability anymore. But, right. you know, the church said, they came around and they picked us up. It was here in Colorado. I pretty much, uh-huh. I came to Colorado when I was three, and then um, I moved when I was, uh, 14 to uh-huh. Washington State for three years to open the restaurant with my family, but but um, 
But during, you know, before that, so I was talking about going to church. When, or what year was that when you were um, talking about the church would go pick up the kids? I'm just curious. So what the year I might was, be. yeah, let's see, like four or so. Okay. Because I was right, it was probably was when I was about five or six. What's that? Because mm-hmm. I volunteered at a mission. I was 15, and I was born 62. So um, we used to go around and uh, pick up the kids and uh, bring them up and, you know, sing songs like Jesus Loves Me and This Little Light of Mine and feed them lunch. And yeah. it was so weird. <laughs> Can your kid come to, you know, church today? And, oh, yeah, and they'd start hollering, get out of here! You know? <laughs> 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 like, they get out the door, you know? Like, and I remember one time, yeah, in rickety steps, you know, and it just scared me that those kids were living there, you know? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about the things that we lived through back then. I mean, it's surprising that we lived. <laughs> really, I know. we're all alive still. <laughs> and yeah, the, the playground equipment and everything. <laughs> Tell me these horror stories about being abused and stuff, and I was being abused. I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't know how to help them. And I really didn't even think there was any help out there. And I guess, you know, we weren't trained in any sort of way to say, you know, gee, go to somebody if somebody kids being abused. And I really don't know what was out there then. I talked later on to a nun and uh, said, what do you do when, uh, when a kid comes up and says that, you know, a child's being abused? And uh, she said, well, we tell them to go home and pray for the person that's abusing them. Mm-hmm. And that I think I remember it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's how yeah. I lived my life up until a few years ago, really. Is I was, yeah. I was trained, I was groomed, I was programmed to live for everybody else. It didn't really matter what my feelings or my needs or my wants or anything mattered. Nothing mm-hmm. really mattered, and. I got to a point, and, you know, which I think a lot of us do in our lives, where you start, you stop and look, and, and I think it was pretty much right after your kid, my kids left the house, <laughs> all of my grown kids left, and my last yes. two left yes. kind of at the same time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And I knew, so part of my, you know, bringing, I also, you know, then wanted to, to pass that on to my kids. So I was, you know, very adamant in, in raising them in a way that, um, and I was with them. I guess that was the other aspect of it. I didn't want to send my kids to church. I wanted to go with them because I also remember the feeling of having questions about certain things and not being able to ask anybody at home because nobody else was around doing. I mean, I was the only one that was going to church at my house. And as my brother got a little bit older, they tried to send him with us, but he just ran out of the church screening just about every single time. I was, every single time he went with us on the bus, my aunt and I, I ended up like chasing after him down the hall. So it was not a, never an easy thing. And, and it's so, I mean, I guess it's funny, but it, it was so him because he passed away a little, a few years ago and, um, and I, and they were, we were trying to figure out where to do his funeral, and, and somebody was like, do not put him in a church. And guess where his children put him? 
Oh, yeah. He'd be running out of this place by now. What are you guys doing? That's a little morbid. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) It it was so opposite of me, you know. But so anyway, um, I so I was about six, and this is how I remember is because when I was seven in second grade, uh, my appendix ruptured. And I, I was, so I was really, really sick, and I didn't want to go to school, of course, because I was in pain. And my mom kept taking me back to the doctor, and they kept telling me that it was in my head, something was going on, maybe at school, and I didn't want to go to school. I mean, they just, and they still don't have the best tools to diagnose mm-hmm. appendicitis. They just don't. And I, I wish that they could come up That's with something better. What? I'm sorry. Because that has happened. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I said, what did you say? They don't know how to diagnose. Oh, appendicitis. Or when your appendix ruptured. It's hard to find that, right. that, that you have yes. appendicitis, even in, like, scans and stuff that they do. So they told me yeah. for, like, over a month, they were like, no, there's nothing wrong with her. In the meantime, it had ruptured. And um, by the time that we got to a specialist, because my mom finally insisted, you know, no, she is in pain. We need to see somebody else. And then I was in the hospital that night and in surgery that night. And they still couldn't even get to my appendix. They couldn't get it out. I had to go home with a drain for six weeks. So it was pretty serious. Oh and um, when I was home recovering and we lived in this little tiny house, we had two bedrooms. My brother and I shared a room and my mom and dad had their room and then and one bathroom, and then my uncle had just moved in as well with us, and he slept in the living room. But um, I was recovering in the living room, too. And um, the elders from the church that I had been going to had heard about what had happened. And so they came over, and they wanted to pray with us. And I remember laying on the couch, and I heard the whole conversation, and my parents turned them away. My parents – and – and now I know why, At the, you know, when you're six years old, six or seven years old, it's like I was already very curious about God and Jesus. And, you know, yeah. and then they came to my house and they wanted to pray with me. I thought, oh, my gosh, let them in. I want to do that. You know, I was like, this is really awesome. But my parents didn't see it that way. And so they turned them away and told them to go away. And I remember okay. hearing that. And that was, that was kind of devastating to me. Yeah, especially when yeah. they're sending you on a bus. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, um, that's kind of how I, that's how I, how come I always wanted to be also a Sunday school teacher. And that's what I did raising my kids. I was in the Sunday school and I was a Sunday school teacher and I wanted, because I remembered going to Sunday school. I don't remember really my teacher's name specifically. I remember the church, but um, I just remember the love that I felt there. And, you know, there was abuse going on in my home. So it was that aha moment of something different. You know, this is a different feeling. And so growing up, that was always in my mind. I'm going to be there with my kids at church, and I want to be a Sunday school teacher, and I want to, you know, to another child that's maybe going through what I was going through when I was that, at that age, you know. Right. And so I also took all of my friends with them. Been on before. Who, I know you've been on before. Could you give, a, like, just a little brief history in case uh, 
somebody hasn't heard you before, because you mentioned in the bio that uh, you had been being abused throughout your childhood. You just give us a yes. brief synopsis of that. Yeah. And so by the time I my I'd had my appendicitis, I had already been um, introduced sexually by a neighborhood boy. And my best friend at the time was living in that house with her cousins because her mom had issues and couldn't take care of her. So she was living with her aunt and uncle and her cousins, and her uncle was abusing her in that house as well. And, but, you know, of course, I didn't know that at that time. So we would play, and I would go over to her house, and we would play in her basement because she had a really, she had a much bigger house than we did in the basement, and we didn't. And, um, and the boys were there, and there were times that I would go over there and play, and the boys would, like, walk around with their pants undone and their penises hanging out, and I'd be like, that's a little odd. But, you know, I'm five years old, so it's like, yeah. what do you, you know, yeah. it's like, that's odd, but maybe that's normal. I don't know what, what's happening here. <laughs> so um, I also knew that the one, the youngest cousin, her youngest cousin, who was older than me, he was he's two, three years older than me. Um, but at the time I thought he was a lot older and I knew that he liked me again at five years old. What does that mean to a five-year-old? He would do things like tell me that he liked me. He would give me records, you know, little single records that were love songs. And so, you know, that's the extent of that that I knew. And so one day when we were playing over at her house in her basement, the boys separated us they got a separate so it must have been planned and um the youngest one who liked me got me in a closet and he pulled down his pants and wanted me to touch him and I didn't want to so I you know didn't know what was going on specifically but I was like no thank you and I went to leave I ran out of the house and as Mm -hmm. I was leaving the house I I saw my friend being abused by the other cousin and my thought at five years old was oh, my gosh, I must not be old enough. Here she is doing whatever she's doing with her cousin, and the other one wanted me to do whatever he wanted me to do, but I don't want to. I want to go away, so see you later, you know. And mm-hmm. But that was the thought that I had. I wasn't ever told anything. And also, my family was very – they weren't very modest either, really. And so, um, you know, I was kind of used to that anyway. But anyway. So that was kind of my first experience. I didn't know, you know, my friend and I kind of lost touch. She, you know, went back to her mom and moved away, and now she lives in Oregon, and we've talked a lot. She connected with me a few years ago, probably 10 years ago or so, on oh. Facebook, and, um, and we started talking. And this is, that's, she is actually how I heard of NASCA initially. Wow. She had, um, she had a radio show, a blog talk radio show as well. And challenging the rhetoric, it was just called. I don't know if she still does it or not. I don't mm. think she does. Mm. But um, it's a very political channel. And, you know, but she had already been doing this platform for a while. And, and then she had suggested that maybe her and I do maybe a monthly show about child sexual abuse prevention. And so we were kind of working on going into that and doing that. And we were starting to go on shows and and tell our story. Um, part of part of my story is when and when I started 
doing this with her in the very beginning, I hadn't told most people in my life. You know, my family, of course, knew. The adults in the family knew. The kids in the family didn't necessarily all know. And, um, and so there was, and, and then all of my church friends, none of, I never shared that story before. Right. And so I started the Kim Lakin page and Kim Lakin is my maiden name. So I started that page just so that I could kind of separate, you know, and let people get to know this side of me a little bit slower, not just yeah. here, you know, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw this at you all. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and also I was told at the time by my friend, she wanted me, she wanted us to, you know, let anybody be friends with us. She's like, you have to accept any friend requests. And I was like, well, they're not going to do it on my other page because I know everybody on that page. I'm not just going to let strangers in here. So that's kind of how I got the Kim Lakin page. And then I um, started, well, we did one show is what happened. And it was very evident to me that we weren't going to be able to work together very well. Um, We still you know, we still talk once in a while and everything. It just wasn't quite a good fit. And so um, yeah. I also, at the time, when I was doing that with her, I had heard about Darkness to Light. And I was really excited about that. And I was like, I could, you know, I could take this curriculum into my community. This is what I've, you know, thought. And just, you know, I kind of felt that God was going to use me in this way. I just never knew that there was something like this that I could go do. But, um, and that happened at one of those Women of Faith conferences 27 years ago when I, when I felt that. I had that feeling that God was going to use me in this way. But it took a long time. <laughs> like he does. But, um, <laughs> in the right time. time, though, right? In the right yeah, time. the right time. In <laughs> our time. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> not our time. It's not our, yeah. We're not always right. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so she was not very interested in doing Darkness to Light. She's more about social media, and she didn't necessarily want to take it into her community. And, um, and so that was, you know, another thing that I realized wasn't going to work with us. And so I started my Soar on Eagles Wings page because that was the verse that had stuck with, with me for so long. Even I think even 20 years ago when I was first told you know, this was something that I'd be doing. And um, and my mom was, so that was another aspect of it. 20 years ago, my mom was still alive. And my mom was very controlling. I don't even know, our relationship would be so different now, you know, because she was very, um, she was also very enabling of my dad. And, you know, and it was part of, like I was saying earlier, my grooming of you take care of, the elders and the men in the family. I think it was even more about that. It was like the women always had to be the strong one. And my mom was the breadwinner in our family. And my dad was a very weak individual, but he seemed like Mm -hmm. he had a lot of power over her somehow. You know, it was like, hmm. But um, anyway, I I don't know. You know, now things, you know, turned out a lot different. My mom died even before I started doing this this work. But... um, but my dad knows that I do this work. And um, and I've talked about that before, I think, on the show is, you know, there are times that he's very supportive because, you know, I've made it very clear to him. And, you know, he, he knows I'm not 
I'm setting boundaries now. So I am not the same mm-hmm. Kim that I was 20 years ago when my mom died. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just let you manipulate me into feeling guilty all the time. And I've been really working on it this last year, setting boundaries. So was he one of your abusers? Or? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Okay. And he was um, physically abusive as well. He was physically and emotionally abusive before he was sexually mm-hmm. abusive. And so that, yeah, I started, I was starting with, you know, my first experience was when I was five. And then I, you know, had the whole trauma of the, um, you know, appendix ruptured. And that took, you know, most of my second grade year, I was out of school. And they ended up, excuse me, they ended up letting me go on to third grade. But then I was in, I ended up being held back in third grade which was another trauma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, all your friends are going on. So, so it was in, be- in between those times, you know, after my surgeries and everything, um, the abuse was just periodically when my cousin was coming to town. I had a, a cousin, uh-huh. a cousin that um, was very handsy. And every time that we would, you know, while the cousins would get together when they were in town, pretty much every summer or so, and um, and play hide and seek, and he would always find me, always in the dark. I mean, and he he wasn't the one that was finding people. You know what I mean? He would just oh. find me. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Oh. So I I would always, you know, and it, it's so evident once you're older and you can see the whole picture, you know, would yeah, would exactly. not. I would discourage my kids from playing hide and seek, you know, because that was a big uh-huh. trigger for me. And, um, and right. that was one, where one of my abusers happened. So, so that was like in between there. And then we were, when I was 12, um, my mom told us that we were going to be adopted by my dad. And, uh-huh. you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, what do you do? What do you say? Well, <laughs> You know, it's not like you were really being asked, I didn't think. But um, but during that time frame that we were, you know, getting the adoption stuff together, my biological sperm donor um, <laughs> never was really around. But we knew his family very My brother and I knew the family very well because my parents would get uh-huh. rid of us in the summers and send us to Arkansas to to be with the family and our, our, you know, bio, bio dad was never there. If he was, he would come and say hi and see us, but he never really made a big effort to see us or anything. So I never really had a relationship with him. And, um, and so during, you know, during that, well, about 12, we were getting ready to be adopted. I was also given um, the adoption papers to take to Arkansas with me one year when I went to go visit my grandparents just in case he was there so that he could sign mm-hmm. up. And I was oh, supposed God. to go. I think, look back, yeah, I look back at it now then, too, and I'm going, that wasn't very nice <laughs> because he, he did nope. end up showing up. And I don't know if, if his parents, you know, if my grandparents clued him in that he needed to come around or I, I don't know what happened, but he showed up and I gave him the papers. He was not happy, obviously, but he did sign them. And, um, and so I took them back with me, but I remember feeling guilty about it. I felt very guilty and it, it wasn't 
means it's like, not have that kid, responsibility yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But so anyway, I came back and, and but during that time frame is when my my dad started sexually abusing me, and there were several instances. And um, one time, you know, near the end, the last time, I guess, I, I cried. I was crying. I was like, don't, I don't know why you're doing this. And I'm like, you want to be my dad. Why are you doing this? And mm-hmm. I guess that snapped him out of it or something. And he quit. And um, later, years later, I, he would tell me that that's why is because I... I had voiced in front of the judge, I guess, at that point, too, sometimes, that I wanted to be adopted, you know, because, I, I guess, because I was 12, maybe they asked me, do you want to be adopted by this man? Yeah. And I'm like, but yeah. did I really have a choice? I didn't have a choice. No. Nobody really asked me. I didn't know that. No. And you know what? If I would have had a choice, if I would have had a voice at that age with everything that had already gone on, because like I said, it was the, the physical and the emotional abuse had already started and right. been going. So um, ever since I was three, that's when he came in. Well, what, 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 what you had options be? My, my grandparents kind of set me up that way too. They got my mom and dad yeah. to sign the adoption papers and then brought me to court. And the court judge asked me if I wanted to be adopted. Well, <laughs> What other choices did I have? You know? I know. Uh, no, I want to go live with a functional family, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so exactly. you know. Yeah, like, you know, you got option B and C here. Yeah. If only we knew, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that's not a exactly deal. We have that option. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But anyway, yeah. so I... um. You know, that had stopped. Then short, we got adopted. Shortly after that is when we moved to Washington State because um, my mom and her brother and my dad and my grandma all decided, so my aunt moved with us too, and my grandma, um, that they were going to open a restaurant. So we, had, we opened a Mexican restaurant in Washington State, the loco, and we ran it for, I think it was open for five years, and it was very successful. I mean, we were packed on the weekends, and um, the kids were all required to work there, too, on the weekends, and we didn't get paid other than we'd get tips or, you know, I'd get tips or whatever, yeah. but um, but that's where I met my oldest daughter's firm donor, <laughs> as I call him, mm-hmm. um, who was my high school boyfriend, yeah. so that's what, I was in high school during those years in Washington State, and I met him, and then the the restaurant collapsed because of financial management um, on the other side, <laughs> my uncle, because he was kind of the financial person, and my grandma and my dad were the, the chefs. They were the cooks, and um, my mom had her other job. So she, my mom was paralegal. That was her main job was a paralegal. But um, we came back to Washington, and I brought my boyfriend back with me because I wasn't going to leave without him at that point. I was 17, but... Well, now back a little bit, um, and we were up in Washington. I was sneaking out to go meet him one night out the window, and my dad came in my bedroom right at the time I was trying to sneak out and pulled me back in and then threw me through a wall. And I said, you know, at that point I must have thought, I'm going to tell my mom what happened, you know, a few years ago. This is enough. I guess at that point I was like, this is enough. 
I'm tired of this crap. And, um, and so I remember sitting in the bed next to my mom, talking to her and telling her a little bit about what happened. And I, and I don't, of course, remember the whole conversation really. And it, it was probably yeah. traumatizing <laughs> considering what I, I remember, um, which was that that happened. You know, it was almost like she expected at some point that I would be sexually abused by either my dad or somebody. Oh my God! And, okay, so I got I got a little rebellious after that, <laughs> just a little bit, you know? and um, yeah, and that's pretty much how Jeff I think ended up back down in Colorado with us because I wasn't going to leave without him, and I was very adamant I'm either staying in Washington or he's coming with us, and so um, I didn't know at the time that that the moms had planned for him to come here for a couple months, but then they were going to ship him back onto his grandma in Florida. So when they, you know dropped that news on us, I was like, no, I'm going there too. So we ended up in Florida together for three months as well. <laughs> but um, the, so, you know, that was my rebellious years. And when we had come back from Florida, we moved in together and then we broke up. I met up with another old friend that I had known in middle school or elementary school pretty much. And she was married. So we were both 17 at this time. She might have even been 16 because I was older than she was because I was held back a year. But um, she was married to a 36-year-old man. And they wow. invited me over to their house one night um, just to have dinner and drinks and, you know, to meet this guy's friend, her husband's friend. And... Um, and obvious, there was something that was put in my drink because I was out completely, and I was raped that night. That was the, you know, oh probably the last oh rape, you know, sexual abuse that I had mm-hmm. experienced, and that was a completely different one than I had experienced all my growing up years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. They're all different. That, um, yeah, they yeah. are. It's just. But, um, Every time you're raped, yeah, so then you're trauma. Yeah. So that kind of brings me to, I think, the point of shortly after that time frame, I started dating somebody, somebody and broke up with them and then hooked up with Jeff. He was heading back to Washington State, though. And we had hooked up one night and um, I got pregnant. <laughs> and so... When I was, but then I was also being set up on a blind date because I was working at a car dealership. And um, one of the guys at the car dealership was like, I know this guy who I think you guys would really get along. I want to set you up. And so Andy and I, my husband, went out on a, a blind date. And then when we, after that date, we got along, you know, and we said, okay, we'll see each other. You know, we talked about in a couple weeks, we'd get together again. And in between those couple weeks is when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. And um, and also Jeff, my high school boyfriend, was going back to Washington. So I, you know, told him I was pregnant. He was kind of being a jerk like he was. And I um, ended up something like, well, maybe she's not even yours. Or <laughs> So that's been a, a fun thing to deal with in your you know, 40s. But... Um, <laughs> It's not true, because I know the time frame. It was just, you know, I was 17 years old, 18 years old. It was like, 
and he was pissing me off. So maybe she's not yours, but he resurfaced at, at one point in our lives, not not too long ago, within mm-hmm. the last ten years, and um, oh, wow. decided her her bio, yeah, her her sperm donor, my little oldest daughter's biological dad, resurfaced. He found us wow. on Facebook and wanted to friend, you know, wanted to be friends with us, and then he. Um, didn't think that she was his, and so she, without talking to her or you know, all, just by seeing pictures of her, I guess he he decided that she wasn't his, and and so he unfriended us, and then he connected with me when I got the Kim Lincoln page again, and I was like, oh. did you unfriend us? He's like, well, I don't believe that she's mine, and and at the time he was like, I don't like Chris, I don't like Christians or something like that, and I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Wow. Um, <laughs> and but so, it's a Facebook one. People are finding you out of I the know. woodwork, you know. <laughs> I know. Sometimes for the good, sometimes not. But um, right. yeah, and obviously, I mean, from things that have happened just the last few years, even he, because he comes in and out of my Facebook is what he does, and I, I'm pretty convinced that almost 60 years old changed at all since he was a teenager. <laughs> And so, you know, it's kind of proof that people, how people are, you know, ridiculous. But, um, so I got, you know, pregnant with my daughter. I told my husband on our second date that I was pregnant. And, um, and I think that it was kind of, you know, he was curious. And it was something that he'd never experienced with anybody. And we dated all through my pregnancy. I felt like, I really felt like he was somebody that, wanted to know me for me because it really was the first relationship that I had that wasn't physical immediately. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, and it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. (laughs) Huge. Because that's all that I do. I mean, in my mind, that's all, that's what men wanted. And that's all pretty much women are good for. And that's kind of the the message that I felt I got from my mom as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, three years later, we got married, <laughs> and um, and then we had two other, two more children. We had another daughter and a son, and so now my children are 36, almost 37, oh my gosh, um, 28, and almost 25. My son will be 25 this year, and he's getting married oh. in October. So <laughs> that's going on right here. And wow. I've got six, six grandchildren. And um, wow. my, I, my oldest granddaughter, I watched from the time that she was born because her, both of her parents worked full time. And I remember at the point that she started to go to preschool, it freaked me out because I had more control over my children than I have over my grandchildren. And I could, yeah. you know, do things like be around their schools all the time when I wanted to, you know, and, and I didn't feel that I had necessarily that right so much with my granddaughter. And my daughter yeah. put her in preschool way out far away by where she worked, so I couldn't do anyway. But, um, and my daughter, I could tell at that point my daughter was really starting to, to build, put up boundaries. And I wasn't sure why, but she was really building them. And so I really wanted to start doing this work, and especially when I found Darkness Delight, I was like, 
this is perfect because now I understand better how to talk to the kids about yeah. how to keep themselves safe and how, you know, what body mm-hmm. safety is. And, and that's what I've done with my grandchildren, you know, including buying them body safety books and having body safety books at my house that they know, well, yeah. you know, I'll read to them whenever they want to. And, you know, some of them are yeah. really into them and some of them aren't. And, you know, just, mm-hmm. but they know that well, they the are here and they know that I'm not safe for Right. And that you can ask, they can have probably ask questions. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I can remember I'd be I was sat in front of the TV and that was our babysitter. So my grandma came in. I don't know what she was yeah. watching, but there's kids are people to walk a do, walk a do, walk a do. People and not full grown, but we got problems of our own. <laughs> Must have heard a major part of that. Walking. Why you know, God forbid. God <laughs> <laughs> well, forbid you think you have rights or anything, right? We don't want those messages getting pumped into your head. <laughs> Change yeah. it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. like I said, you know, if you're not around people that, that you know you can't even ask questions, you know, do basic questions, you know. Like, why aren't we people? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I have to turn this yeah. off? What's the, what's the part? You know? I mean, we just Maybe we not have right. We it has children. felt like we were doing something bad and we weren't sure what it was. And, you know, the song was done. Yeah. <laughs> we liked the words. You yeah. know? But apparently we won't just be getting that message. You know, that's the message we got. <laughs> it's a bad thing to believe. Right. And then mm-hmm. our kids turn around and, you know, now our grandkids have no manners at all, but. Um, right. They get to deal right. with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it, it was, curious, I think it all just fell into place. I'm curious about when your kids were little, like, say, five, and that's, like, when your abuse started. Um, did did you seem, like, overcautious, or did you seem, um, what, how did oh, yeah. you deal with that? worrying about your kids or, you know, like for me, I was today, you know, I was going to say to somebody, what a cute child. And I thought, I'm not going to say that because people said about my daughter, I would freak out, freak out, oh. really crazy freak out that, oh. you know, somebody thought she was beautiful and, and I just didn't want to think that, you know, or they, or, yeah. you know, yeah. she's in danger. Yeah. Automatically. Hyper sensitive or something. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I think. I was very much um, hypersensitive in the way that I knew where they were at all times and what they were doing and who they were doing it with and, you know, the parents of who they were doing it with and <laughs> the schedule and all well, that. I and I also... I think that's just possible parenting. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. My no, does that exactly. And I think it's the right thing to do. <laughs> Well, yeah, and you've got to, you know, within a, the context of letting them know that you're also there for them and, you know, make make mistakes, make their yeah. own mistakes, because you know kids have to do that, too. But, um, right. Yeah, so. you got to have a balance, yeah. because I was so afraid of, like, you know, just, like, not letting them go there, because I knew that I was, like, overly freaked out, mm-hmm. you know. And so instead of, you know, just trying to find a happy medium, which I didn't really know what that was. 
channel. I just kind of let them make their own decisions all the time. And, you know, um, to me, I didn't put enough bodies on them or limits or, you know, I was glad they were going outside and not really, you know, paying attention to what they were doing. My daughter, especially. My son really didn't want to go outside. He didn't make friends well. <laughs> he implied nice that nobody could be his friend. <laughs> I was a single mom and uh, um, I lived in this place where there was a bunch of single moms with their kids, low-income housing, and uh, this Awanas from the church would come and pick up the kids yeah. and take a pool of Awanas, yeah. and they had these little stones that they memorized Bible verses. They got little stones in them. Well, one day they called me and said, you know, he can't go. Um, and to come with them, so all the other moms get a break, <laughs> and I had to go, and uh, there's the only way to let them come, so um, they already got kicked out of Boy Scouts, as a matter of fact, to make sure he didn't go, they switched a date in the place, so he couldn't get there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not wanting there, and so anyway, I went in with them, and we're sitting there, and just getting little, little jewels in their arms, because they memorized the verses and stuff, and he, he didn't get, he had none, and it was, you know, everybody else had it, it was almost full. Near the end of the year, he didn't have none. And uh, he just sat there, and you could just see what was you know. So on the way out, he punched me in the stomach. And I don't know, I just got this feeling like he just felt really bad because he couldn't memorize those Bible verses. He was just so upset. And and I knew he didn't want to be here, you know. And so he just set my daughter <laughs> Oh. I had to have conversations with him. He had ADHD and severe behavior problems. You know, they put him on Ritalin, which made him go psychotic. So instead of realizing Ritalin was probably causing it, they put him on heavy-duty psychotic meds. So now he's, you know, doesn't like taking Ritalin. I told him, you got to take it or you can't go to school because it's two at lunch. And if you don't take it, then in, they won't go to school and then I'll go to jail, you know. So he's taking it. You don't want to. You don't know, like how it makes him feel, and then I bring him to the psychiatrist and say how he's acting. And he goes, I don't know why you're telling all those lies about me. And he was dissociating, and they didn't know it, you know, because he had been abused, and I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but anyway, um, then they put him on these antipsychotic meds, so he can't function at all. So they put him in a special school for kids with behavior problems. And he comes home, and he's like, Mom, you know, I will go hug you for a well, you know, Mom, I'm behind this hole. And I said, yeah, I know that right. <laughs> and he says, well, the teacher said that I know you're having trouble learning, so we're going to go even slower. We're going to go slow, you know. And I said, well, maybe that's okay, you know. And he goes, Mom, if I'm already behind in school and they're going to go slower, how am I ever going to catch them up? <laughs> this kid does not oh. need to be in school. <laughs> Yeah. But I put him yeah. in permanent foster care. And they got a main stream back in school, and he got a scholarship for college and everything, and it's doing fantastic now, you know. But um, they got him off all those medications and everything, and his mind could function. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he still had right. ADHD, exactly. but you know, they did behavior modification, and I couldn't because of my own mental health. So yeah. I'm grateful for I, my son care. was on that too. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. You're one of those those rare stories about the, you know, good stories about the question. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask Annie? No one else. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sorry, did you say Annie? Yeah, we just yep. wanted, I wanted to know if you had anything you wanted to ask me or anything. I wanted to say how much I identified with a lot of bits and pieces of your story. Um, maybe we could talk sometime and share about that. Oh. And um, that's, that's all. I'd rather listen to your story. I don't have any questions right now. Oh, thank you, Annie. I appreciate that. I'd love to talk sometime. Maybe we can have coffee sometime on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Victoria too. All of them. We should we should do that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do a Zoom coffee meeting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I tell so her I it's guess... wonderful that you know that you can um you can aim the camera at the clean part of your house. <laughs> <laughs> and have coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I could never do that before. <laughs> Yeah. As long as it's not too early, because I'm like way behind. Oh, well, no. Yeah. Annie's in California, huh? So she's behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway. And where are you? But, um, so, Colorado. I'm in Colorado. Oh, yeah. So, um, and I'm in Minnesota. So, the point where I heard about. Yeah. Oh, Minnesota? So, are you you're yeah. later as well? Okay. One, one hour Central. or two hours? Central. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah you're one hour. <laughs> I've had to kind of memorize them all. <laughs> yeah, it's almost yeah. eight o'clock here. Yeah, and it's seven, almost seven here. So it's almost six. Okay. So, yeah, because I do, you know, I do a lot of my classes online now. Before COVID, we didn't do that. Before COVID, right. we, we, um, People have the ability to go onto the website and take the steward, the, you know, the organization is darkness to light, and then the curriculum that I teach is stewards of children. And um, so you can go on, you can still go onto their website and take the stewards of children class. It's a two-hour class, and it's worth two continuing education credit hours, and it's also good for three years. So, um, you know, I. I train a lot of preschools in Colorado, and that has been kind of my main focus, even though when I first started doing this, I really wanted to focus on churches because I had spent, you know, 25 years in children's ministry, and so I I already understood the dangers that were there that nobody else was paying attention to. And so that was really my heart is to get into churches, and um, and when I – decided I was going to do the program. I signed up in Oklahoma because they didn't have anything going on in Colorado at that time. And so I went to Oklahoma, drove out there one day, did the class, drove back the next day, and um, became a facilitator and started doing classes. And I started just putting it up on Facebook, and mostly Facebook, I think is all I was advertising on at the time, and a church called me. So one of my very first churches that I did, um, I had about 35 people in, in one of my first classes. And so I'm standing up there in front of all these people going, uh, yeah, God, I think this is a God thing. <laughs> I think God is in this somewhere. <laughs> so 
So, so that church. Who, um, who is that program directed to? Like, who would, if I would refer somebody, who would I be referring um, to take that class? So, you know what? Any uh, anybody, anybody who is around children, anybody. I mean, we okay. come in contact. If you are working in a grocery store, you know what? I think all grocery store clerks. I don't know if I could ever get that. I've had that thought before, but I haven't ever done it. They should all have this training. They should all be trauma-informed because they are around families daily. And right. even if, you know, a child doesn't say something to them, they might be able to spot, you know, some behaviors or something that's going on, you know, some boundary violations that are happening. And so I think that, yeah. you know, that is our main goal is to, in Darkness, at Darkness Delight is to educate the adults. And that has, I think that is also what really got my attention about this curriculum is because it's not putting the children back in charge of, you know, telling mm -hmm. when children don't even right. know at five years old what's happening. Yeah. How can I tell? Well, even I didn't know. Older I thought that you know. I was, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, as you get older. So I my, like that fact uh, that we cousin, are trying to put it back on them, on adults. Yeah, go ahead. My cousin is a teacher in the Minneapolis school, and I had her on one night. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because she said they got these, I don't know what they're called, but like those barcode things that you can scan um, in yeah. the schools now um, that have to do with suicide and, and violence, things like that, you know. And I thought that was really interesting. The reason why I asked about um, who would who could benefit from it, and then also I was wondering about the age group because she works with um, school children, and they also have some kind of a prevention program where they have like high risk students that um, the parents can get into um, these parenting classes that she runs, and and then the students can go through some stuff too. And I was really impressed with what they're doing in the Minneapolis school for kids that are high risk and we talked about, you know, the child abuse and stuff like that. And I thought it would might be something I could recommend to her. But I was wondering if it was like an age yeah. level or something. Um, so Darkness Light recommends yeah, we recommend sixteen and older for our curriculum. Um I am a facilitator as well with another organization and it's called the Monique Burr Foundation. And they do classes specifically for children. And um, I can go into schools with this curriculum. I, I haven't done as much of that. And the reason being is, um, I think the main reason is because it, it will cost the schools to do the um, Monique Burr curriculum. I would have to charge uh -huh. them because I would be charged. Oh. Um, whereas the Darkness to Light curriculum I have a grant in Colorado mm -hmm. that pays for that. So whenever I do go oh. and do a darkness light sort of children class in Colorado, it's got to be in Colorado though. Um, they will pay for my my time. They'll pay for all my materials. They'll also pay for me to bring in food. So I'll usually go to Costco and get sandwiches and chips and cookies, and um, and then oh, that grant yeah. also will pay for childcare. So I have gone into a lot of preschools and and you know, trained the the teachers first yeah. and then have come back and done another training, you know, like specifically for the parents, have a parent night and do yeah. that. And so um, 
there, so you're not you know, right now. Just, uh-huh. but what's that? What's that? Oh, I said you're not having to charge the schools. Right. Yeah, exactly. with that. Mm-hmm. It's all, Perfect. all free. So that's why I've, you know, probably have done more of those. I think that the Monique Burr Foundation is a really good curriculum for children. And that's why I became a facilitator. And, you know, I would like to use that more. I don't know. Again, I don't know how that will look. It might just be, you know, something that I have put on the back burner for a few years. And um, and then it will get picked up again. But um, what I do know is that there are some opportunities that I have right now. Like there's a – I was staying with my aunt out in Strasburg. I know you guys – to the context area, but it's about an hour and a half from my my home that I raised my kids in Littleton and where I basically grew up in Littleton. But um, so it's about an hour and a half away. It's way out, you know, like in farm country. So there's nothing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was out there, I started calling the school district out there and and around and the little the little towns around it. And the Strasburg town administrator of, of the high school, or well, all of um, is working with me. We're, we're possibly going to train all of the teachers at Strasburg. Oh, that's great. Because once you get in and once so the word kind of spreads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I actually, a few years ago, it was like right before COVID, I got into Columbine High School. That's where my kids went as well, the famous Columbine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking with the the vice principal and and we set up a night he set up for the gym the gymnasium or not not the gymnasium the um, auditorium he was like Uh you can have the auditorium I was like wow okay and then he told me that he was going to invite all the neighboring schools that he would send out a message and and um and he never did that (laughs) so I got there that day and there was only five people which I mean is still worth it I will Uh I will teach one person and and I do these classes as well on on zoom twice a month that are just open to the public and so if you're you know ever interested in wanting to do it with me online I'm happy to facilitate that like I said you can also take it on you know Dr. Select's website you can also find somebody in person most likely because we are all over the world um in all different countries as well, so uh-huh. um, you can usually find somebody in your area, but if not, you know, jumping on Zoom is real yeah. convenient now, <laughs> now that we can do that. And then um, a few years after I became a facilitator and started doing the classes, um, the, another organization started in um, Colorado, Illuminate Colorado, so they, they do a lot of work in Colorado as well with Darkness to Light and, um, and other programs, but so I work with them mm-hmm. also a little bit in Colorado. But um, we are getting ready to switch over to a a brand-new curriculum. So, um, you know, we've had had the one that we've been using, which is Darkness to Light uses, or the Stewards of Children class uses a a combination of videos and real-life survivor stories to, you know, educate people on the subject. And then also professionals. So, you know, on this, this curriculum that I've been doing now for over seven years or so, um, it, we we go into like 35 minutes of a video 
which has all of those people in it. And then we, we break and we do discussion time for about 15 minutes or so. And we ask some questions. You get a, if, in, if you're in person, you have a, you know, a book that I gave you. And there's also a virtual book that I give you if it's online. And we'll go through some of those questions. And then we go into another 35 minutes of the video. And, um, and then after that, we'll debrief and we go into some more questions. And um, the, the new curriculum that's coming out, so this old curriculum is good until the end of December 2023, and then we're going to go exclusively into Stories of Children 3.0. And it is set up, it, it's basically set up the same way, except with the videos and, and survivors and professionals and, and then me as well doing the facilitating. Um, however, we do it in shorter video clips. So there's like nine little video clips that we do now in the new curriculum. However, um, oh, it's still cool. all, yeah, and so it breaks it up a little bit, you know, for people who have a hard time sitting for 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, all, Stewards of Children is the only curriculum that is evidence-informed. It's also um, award-winning. It's gotten two awards. And... um you know, it, it, let's see also, it's worth the two continuing education credit hours. It goes into how um, Darkness to Light is, really wants to be trauma-informed. So it was really important to them that that is a, a big part of this curriculum because it always has been, and that's how you get, you know, that's how you're able to get the credit, you know, the CE credit hours and stuff is being very trauma-informed. So, um, so it talks about, I'm, I'm kind of looking at um, the website a little bit, and that's, so if you want to go onto the website, it's the letter D, the number two, and the letter L.org, the D2L.org, and it'll bring up a little, like a, a front page that has the new curriculum on it, and, um, and that's just kind of what I was, I was reading about as far as how that is. Um, delivered as far as being in trauma-informed. And um, mm-hmm. and then it was also, there was a CDC-funded study on this new curriculum conducted by the National Crime Victims Research Center. And okay. they found that um, darkness to light training changes and strengthens adult protective behaviors. So furthermore, Dr. Elizabeth Hornew, I think I saw her, John Hopkins, I think I saw her at a conference one time, She's from John, John Hopkins School of Public Health. Compiled data research suggesting citizens trained in the Stewards of Children program report previously unrecognized abuse at a higher rate than other communities. So we're catching the abuse faster with this education because mm-hmm. we know. You know, just like um, any, any kind of training that you're teaching your kids, we need to, to start at a young age so that they know that it's okay to be doing that, you know, it's, but it's okay. You've got to, yeah. you got to teach them this stuff. So, um, well, it's, it's, it's so teach it's, adults that they're responsible for children too, because it seems like, yes. um, a lot of adults don't get that, you know, and, and they just let things slide by, you know, and I, I use the phrase, uh, there are no throwaway children, you know, if you, you know, because I, I kind of remember people, oh, that's just where that family is, you know, and and to me, it always felt like right. those were throwaway children, you know. 
Like nobody was willing to even oh. step out of anything to help them. And and to me, they, you know, when I was growing up, I felt like, well, I guess some kids are just throwaway children. And I, I felt that was yeah. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I, I felt like, you know, here I, one dad just left, and then here I get this other dad, but he's abusive and, you know, what is, what's up with this? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. Well, yeah, me and too, I because I was different people, and I, I figured it was about me, not about them, you know. Um, yeah. Right. W- rather than, you know, if I was yeah. educated, I didn't know, that, you know, the adults are responsible for their behavior. It's not my fault, but, you know, being four years old and in a bar where guys groping on you and putting their hands up your dress and, I told my grandma I didn't like what they were doing, and uh, she just goes, oh, they just do that because you're cute. I mean, yeah, uh, no. no. You, you know, uh, <laughs> who is, uh, I, is that? Yeah. Not, oh, man, that man should be touching you and let me go, but, you know, even have a conversation oh. with him, let alone, you know, just right. bring me back to the weekend to have the same thing happen. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, something that I wasn't able to necessarily do with my kids is, is give them that voice because I still was being silent, I think, even as I was raising my kids. And it affected them. Right. I mean, there are definitely challenges that I can see in our relationships now. Not so much my son. Yeah. My son and I have always had a pretty quite tight relationship, but my daughters and I struggle some. And I've also asked, when I first started doing this curriculum, I asked all of my children to take it. And um, so they did years ago. They took Darkness to Light to the children. But it, what I love about it, too, and this is the other part that um, I think is great, is that it's not about my story. So every time I go out to do this curriculum, it's, it's about the curriculum, and it's about teaching people how to be more informed yeah. and how to keep kids safe. It's not about my story, like I was just saying, you know, talking about a little while ago. So, um, so basically what yeah. we do is we, we, we teach you the five steps to protecting children, and that's kind of our, our model. And, um, and the five steps, you know, is the first step is, being trauma-informed. So understanding, you know, what maybe that might look like in a child, what a trauma might look like in a child. Um, being aware, like if, um, you know, their, their mood changes or, you know, their whole personality changes. If they, like somebody, you know, wanted to go over to their friend's house all the time and then all of a sudden they don't and they're very adamant and they cry and you know, or don't want to go, then there's something that needs to be checked into. And, and it's not just, oh, they're just in a bad mood. There's something going on there. And so, you know, being aware of that, um, it's not only, you know, it's important for the kids to know, but it's important for the adults as well to, um, to, to model that for the kids so that they can, they can learn. So um, the first part of you know, the, the five steps is recognizing your surroundings, making sure that your surroundings are as safe as they can be. So when I'm in preschool, for instance, since that's what I do more, more of, um, or churches, you know, identifying where maybe those 
hidden places are in the in the church or in the preschool, and um, because there always are, there's always these little nooks and crannies all over the place. Being aware of those so that kids can't go and hide in there. Also, when you're out on the playground, you know, being aware that there's um, you know, there's this space under the slides or under some other, you know, maybe there's tunnels somewhere. You know, and those things, just being aware of them so that you can keep them safe. And, um, you know, I have many friends that went into teaching, you know, that I was friends with raising my kids, and then they all went to teach into teaching, and um, and I've been able to provide some of this to, to some of them, too. And, you know, they, they're like, we don't, we don't get this in-depth training. And we should, and they should. I mean, everybody that is working with kids needs to be mm-hmm. trauma informed. Like, right. for, like you said, so that kids don't have to continue to to be responsible for them so, because mm-hmm. it's not their job. Exactly. So um, then the second one is um, reason number two is you know just kind of. Um, knowing then what to say. So if somebody comes to you, a child comes to you and says, you know, something happened with my dad last night, I, I need to talk about it, I don't, you know, it felt really bad, it felt funny or whatever. However they say it to you, how you respond is going to make a big difference in their recovery as well. Because if a child feels that you are going to get mad about something or, you know, or, or even go hurt that person because it's possible that they like that person or love that person, um, then they could take that story back. And so there's, we, we tell people there's less than a 5% chance that a child will lie about child sexual abuse. They don't usually lie like that. Most right. likely wouldn't be do to get back. It's because of one of those circumstances that I just mentioned. Because we're not prepared to, to receive that information and we don't know what to do with it. And so we react. And um, and then that makes them react in another way. So that's the other set. You know, that's very important to know exactly how you're going to react. And if we're not trained from the, you know, before it happens, then we're not going to know what to do when it happens. Yeah. So, um, I agree. Yeah. So the other part, so that's, you know, that's huge in, in talking and then also talking to your, your children, their body safety as a number one priority. And it was, you know, a really good example for me, you know, like I said, I was watching my granddaughter from the time she was little tiny. And, and then when she was five, she had a little brother and um, so it was the perfect opportunity, and I was in the headspace to be able to uh, recognize that and teach her, you know, yeah, I'm changing this diaper, I've got to wipe his penis, i got to wipe his butt. You know, I was able to, to properly talk to her about body safety right. and, and that there are differences in boys and girls and, and all of that. So, um, so yeah, that was that was. And um, so I also give, when I do these classes, I also, well, this is in Colorado, but we do have a, a like, 1-800-NATIONAL numbers that we give. And some of those numbers are what I put out on my store on Equals Wings every night, the emergency numbers of, like, um, child abuse, the National Child Abuse Hotline. And do you have any you could say? Do you have any you could the, say right now? Yeah, I could bring them up. 
Um, so, you know, having those resources available all in your, you know, in your back pocket so that um, when something happens and, you know, part of it, again, being prepared for when something happens. Um, I don't multitask as good as I used to. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. You find that as you get older. <laughs> like I used to be I'm downstairs in my meditation area where I probably have the numbers because I got a whole list of numbers for just about anything that could come up. All of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but um, I was working at a battered women's shelter, you know, and I was talking to my kids and there was some book on bunnies and their bathing suits, you know, and talked to my kids and everything and, you know, really thought I'd prepared them and found out later on that my son had been abused. And uh, mm-hmm. when, when I found out stuff in, in uh, found out in the more detailed stuff, his, his uh, biological father had said that, well, your mom cares about all those other kids she helps at the shelter, but she said, I could do this to you. You know, and so oh these perpetrators are like so freaking good at what they do. <laughs> and I blame myself for so many years that, you know, I didn't teach my kid right, you know, to to be able to tell me. And, you know, know, I finally had to get that up because I, you know, not perfect. I'm not a perfect parent, and I just want to tell people, you know, you feel like you didn't do things perfectly, you know, um, start today, go forward, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, and a lot of people, well, yeah. well, I told my kids, I'm sorry for the way that I, they were, you know, I was drunk or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's not really an apology, you know. And yeah, just talking to people about, you know, listening. And then, like I told my daughter, I said, you know, I'm sorry. And I wrote her a letter because she wouldn't talk to me about it. And it really opened up a big door. And I wrote, you know, I said, you know, and if there's anything else you want to bring up in the future, any time, I'm here to listen, you know, and and to realize that things are going to come up. It's not just going to be like this one time blank apology. <laughs> and because all parents make mistakes right. and all kids are going to have feelings about, you know, the way they were raised. And and just I just want to put that out to parents to keep an open mind that, you know, it doesn't mean you're this horrible parent if, you know your kid brings up something that, that hurt them when they were a child, um, you know, because that's how you open communication up. And uh, I have a great relationship with my daughter now and my son, and it could have went completely the other direction, you know, putting them yeah. in foster care and them, you know, me not thinking yeah. I should visit them because, you know, they were so being so adjusted, I didn't want to shake up matters, you know, and, and so a lot of there was just not a lot of communication. So, you know, I mean, even well, though I believe I did a thing, um, but putting them in permanent foster care, um, you know, there's still going to be issues coming up. <laughs> if you want a relationship, you know, you need to keep the communication open, just like you do with little kids. You know, if they can't come up to you and talk about little things, they're certainly not going to come up and ask questions about the big stuff. Right. Exactly. And um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, that was something I was going to say. But I did. I brought up those um, phone numbers. So, do you have the one eight hundred child abuse, the national child abuse hotline? Yeah, I probably have them, but I don't know if our listeners do. Yeah. Okay. So it's one eight hundred four 
to number four, and then a child. So 1-800-4-A-CHILD. And that's the National Child Abuse Hotline. So you can call that at any time. Um, and then, of course, the suicide hotline. Now the, pretty, the newest one that they have is 988. Or you can also call 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. And then okay, one I thing about the, that have words, the numbers that have words, they don't have the yeah. numbers on the letters. They don't have the letters on the numbers anymore on the phone, do they? Oh, don't they? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I oh, I guess they do really. Yeah. But I'm looking at my phone and I'm going, no, it doesn't. But when I look really, really close, because yeah, I don't have my glasses. And I don't okay. have my glasses yeah. on when I just have my phone. <laughs> but they do on mine, I guess. <laughs> Once I look close. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm an old lady. I can yeah. really operate my phone. Uh, isn't it fun? <laughs> I had to call my daughter and I moved in and asked her, how many, how many internets do I need? And she goes, mother, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I got two TVs and a computer. Do I need three internets? <laughs> and she <laughs> said, that's wrong, about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, God, okay, mom, how many internets do you need? <laughs> So I've also got on here the National Human Trafficking Resource Hotline. Okay. And that center is 1-800-373-7888. And they're available 24-7 as well. Awesome. Um, and then yeah, I have a special language. Children as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Darkness to Light has um, a 1-800 hotline as well that they've got for sexual abuse, and that's one eight six six seven five four four four. So you can call any of those. So, um, I mean, just real quick, because I know a lot of times people, we're running out of time, though. I did. I talked the whole time. Um, <laughs> a lot of people like numbers, so you know, just so people know, you know, one in one in ten. We still use those statistics at Darkness Light. That's what they like to use, just the overall round number. But um, you know, some of the other statistics have changed a little bit, and so that's what the new curriculum is is showing, as far as um, you know, like the percentage of people who are in who are abused within the family I think has gone up from like sixty percent to ninety percent. But I also want to say that any of those percentages that we're saying are not right because there's so many people that don't don't disclose. And, you know, we've talked about too the the average age of disclosure is like between 45 and 55 or something like that. And so, you know, we've got all these people that are still, and I didn't either. I was like 46, I think, when I started talking about it. But um, so those numbers are still really off, so we really need to, to be very aware yeah. of what's going on. Right. Because it's just... Because, you know, I mean, even the statistics and stuff, I've talked to so many adults and they say, well, I never reported it, so I'm not in a statistic, mm-hmm. you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
How many exactly. of us never, you know, how many people never reported, you know, that they were abused? Of course, the statistics were down earlier years, you know. People are telling me, oh, the statistics are up. That means more kids are being abused than I do. Not necessarily, you know, you're seeing all this stuff now on the Internet where we didn't have the Internet. You were lucky if you might have heard yeah. of a couple stories on the news, if they even came out. And back, like, when my story came out and it was on the, it was on the news, um, and it said um, his name, but it didn't say my name because I was a minor, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but but you know nobody knew it was me because I was adopted by my grandparents, so I had a different last name than my sperm donor, as I call him as well. And yeah. I also <laughs> had to change my name. I also had to change my name so that I could start speaking back in '85. So Victoria Kelly is not my name. That's that's yeah. the name that I took, and you know I took that name so I could speak because he was still around. And uh, then when I got a divorce, I decided to legally change it because everybody I was around that I had you know been speaking with or speaking to or whatever knew me by that name. <laughs> they didn't know me by yeah. the other name. Might as well be that. Yeah. Right. I think you know, the other I part of um, I went to my class right? reunion. I had to go on the class reunion thing and say, "Hi, this is Kathy Shepard." <laughs> the reason why it's coming up on Facebook is Victoria Kelly because I changed my name for my safety. I didn't put, you know, any other <laughs> details or anything, you know. But um, right. I just want to make sure I was able to go to the reunion, but they were let me on the group and, you know. That yeah. Graduated right. Victoria Kelly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Who is the stranger? Yeah, we don't have that person. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get on. Well, the other thing. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was going to say about the five steps that you know, one of the other steps is supporting each other. So if we're, you know, if we're all educated, and and I say that I'm kind of creating these pockets of people and communities around my grandchildren so that, you know, wherever they go, I know that there's like pockets of people that are going to be watching out for them. But, um, you know, being supportive in that way is huge and knowing that you have support. So if you are in a set, like a, a school setting, knowing that if you have to report something that, that looks like boundary violations or, you know, something that you have somebody within your organization that will back you up and be there for you and support you. That's important. And then the other part, too, is also talking to the child. It's telling the child that you will get the help they need, but it's really important that you don't promise them anything because you can't make promises. And, you know, tell them you'll get the help they need. Believe them. Tell them you believe them, and you'll get the help that they need, and um, and you'll do everything to make sure that they stay safe and any other children stay safe. But you know, making mm-hmm. promises, it would be. Yeah, like a lot of parents will say yeah. they'll pay or <laughs> they're going to jail or whatever, and they don't right. always. Yeah. Right. So yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. No. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I yeah. I just so you know, every the classes, the old curriculum that we're doing. That's if you do it on Darkest Delight, it's ten dollars. If you do it on their website, it's um. 
if you want to pick up one of my free classes that I do twice a month, you're welcome to, to do that. You can contact me or I usually post them on my Facebook page or the Soren Eagles Wings page every month. I just plan them ahead of time. And, um, and those I do for free. So I'm going to be doing that with the, the old curriculum through the end of the year. I'm not quite sure if I can do that as much with the new curriculum. Now the price has gone up a little bit. It's, it'll be $16 a person with the new curriculum. So I'm going to have to kind of see. Maybe I could do once a month. But, um, but I want to be mm -hmm. able to offer those to people. And those I'll even do for one person if, you know, they show up, if they mm -hmm. call me and tell me they want to be on. And, um, and then, yeah. like I said, you can find anywhere around you as well. You can find um, people that that are doing this curriculum, providing this curriculum. So is there any other questions before we go? I, did, I feel like I didn't talk much as much as I should have about Dark East Polite, but <laughs> we went into my story instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know a lot of times we talk about the organizations we work with, but not always, you know, um, kind of it's good to know your motivation, what, what got you started, because a lot of people might be in position to say, well, I'll never be able to help anybody, you know. But I do, I do like to come up with one thing. This is uh, an act of serenity prayer. It's, please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly. I try to forgive myself because I also try my best and wisdom to know that I am a good person with a good heart. And uh, I like saying very simple. We got 10 seconds left, so thank you, Kim. Thank you, Annie. No, you're still on. Thank you, Annie. I'm still here. Thank you both. Yeah. Good night, good everybody. Um, yeah, we'll talk good soon because I'm yeah. very interested in that. I'm interested in that uh, that training for sure. And I think I'm thinking of some people to let know about it as well. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, I mean, and uh, we're on five minutes a week, so come back. And these are all recorded. And we're on scan number 3259. So we've got over 3,000 other shows that you can listen to. And Kim is on many others. <laughs> and I'm the host. So uh, we'll see you again soon. And thanks, everyone. I think we're technically okay. off the air. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> I guess we are. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. All right. We did that. Okay. Yeah. Victoria. Okay. Have a good well, night. Have a good night, honey. Okay. Bye-bye.